welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 75 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 29th of April 2012, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 7. And the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Open your Bible, first of all, this morning, back to the book of Acts chapter 2. I'd like to begin by just reading once again of the coming into being of the first visible local church in this world, and that was the first church at Jerusalem. As we begin reading in Acts chapter 2, in verse 41, I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's precious and holy word. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word, were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. All that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Father, I thank you so much again for this glorious day that you have blessed us with, to be gathering together in your house. Father, we thank you for your word that we've just read from. We thank you for your spirit within that, Lord, we pray at this time, we'll take and anoint these words and we'll take and use this unworthy servant. The Lord will speak the words that need to be spoken here this morning because, Father, we can see the surface, we can see the outside But, Lord, you see the inside. You know the heart. You know exactly what each one needs. And I pray this morning as we direct our attention to your word that you would take and use this time to speak to our hearts and help us, Lord. Please help us that we would be rid of any distractions, that we would truly focus to hear what you have to say to us, that we would respond to whatever you speak in the way that is necessary. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. It actually gets uh, harder instead of easier. (laughs) So we look at a lot of these thoughts, and of course, today in number 75 in our series on contending for the faith, we're in part seven of the glorious church of Jesus Christ. Now, it's amazing because as I study and as I prepare and as I try to find God's, God's will, I mean... The simple truth is, is that the Word of God, boy, it has so much to say about the church. (laughs) The truth is, is that as I look at these things and I try to say, well, Lord, you know, how long would you have me stay on this subject? I mean, I don't want to just stay there forever unless that's where you want to keep us, but uh, I want to make sure that we take time to understand what it is you're saying to us. And of course, then it gets harder too the challenge becomes greater. 
Some Sundays, some of you are here, and some Sundays, some of you aren't, and some are, and some aren't. And so it's hard to stay track when we're running from one sermon to another to another sometimes. The thing is, as we look here this morning, what we, we have been looking in these uh, first six sermons on the glorious church of Jesus Christ, we have looked from the Bible to try to define what the church really is. We went back and we looked. As a matter of fact, I gave you the definitions that the world would give to the church. They think of the brick and the mortar, the building. They think of the religious services. They're going to have church in that building. They think of some worldwide body of, of believers of all of Christendom. They think of major Christian denominations. They think of some entity as relation to being contrary to the state, the government, and all of those things. The list goes on and on of the things that they would call church. And of course, we noted in looking at that, not only the, the great problem of so many confusing definitions, but what is added even greater is that within the church, we have so much erroneous teaching much of it that has been around for centuries and that has just worked its way right down through the church to be right here with us today to define the biblical meaning of the word church. We can only look in one place, and that's in the Word of God. We looked at what this word church means. We came to see much of the, the, the importance, hopefully, of just what the Lord was trying to show us and what he was giving to us, this called-out assembly that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's not just any group. It's not just any congregation. But it's one that belongs to the Lord. It's his called-out assembly. We broke that down and looked at two different areas that we believe that the Scripture looks at. And I know that some think there's others and all that, and that's fine. But we find that we look, first of all, at this prospective church. We find that we talked about this future assembly. That, yes, it's being built right now by the Lord Jesus Christ, and all the names are being written down in the Lamb's book of life, and that's the only day, one day, when all of those are called out of this world at what we call the rapture. They're going to meet the Lord in the air. For the first time ever, they're going to all be assembled together in one place and they're going to be with the Lord forever. That is going to be the very bride of Jesus Christ himself. They will go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. They will be presented as that spotless bride. But then we said that out of the hundred and 18 times the word is used, 115 times that is translated church, that the vast majority of all of those, probably over 100 of them at least, the reason I say probably is because some of them that we look at, and they really apply to both. And it's hard to distinguish between one and the other because if you remember, I said to you that in fact, in an ideal world, the local church the present church, the visible church of the Lord Jesus Christ that he's left here on this earth to do his work, 
to accomplish his work through that it should be a picture of that perspective church that will be one day. But of course, then we'll be without sin. We'll be in our new glorified bodies. And now we still contend with that. So we don't present the perfect picture, but it should. The present church, the one that Jesus Christ built and is building here now for you and I in this present world, not the hereafter, but right now, that his work would be accomplished. And we saw that the Bible defines that present church. We use four words, not that it's the only thing the Bible says about it. We saw that it's made up of believers, that it's described as a body, that it's described as a building that God himself inhabits, that it's described as a bride. As we keep those things in mind, how the Bible defines what this church is, we want to turn our attention today to the second. We said when we started that we wanted to look at the defining of the New Testament church, the design of the New Testament church, the duty of that church, and the destiny of that church. Today, we want to look at the design. You see, if we have a clear biblical understanding of how the Bible defines the church, forget what the world says, forget what religion has told you, forget what people have said, I challenge you today to focus upon the definitions that we've seen in God's Word of how He describes His church, His body. If we, if we clearly understand that, and if the vast majority of the Scriptures that He's given us in the Word of God, if they're focusing upon this local, visible, body of Christ right here, right now in this present world, not on the universal church of the future, then I'm saying that we must surely, we must surely as Christians, we should have a desire. And we should make ourselves to look into the Word of God, to seek from the Scripture, okay, that's what God is saying that it is, that's how he's defining it. It's Jesus Christ, we said, that is building his church. Well, how has he designed it? Um, you know, the church that we have right now, you know, there's an awful lot of people that they say that they are the perfect example of a New Testament church. How do we know? what a New Testament church is. How do we know what's right? There are many denominations that will tell you that they're the one. Preacher, how do we know what's right? Well, I'll tell you this. <laughs> if I thought there was somewhere closer out there that, that was clear to God's Word, and that's where I'd be, not here with you. Because as much as I love you, the truth is more important. I'm saying to you this morning, I don't want you to believe what this preacher believes because he believes it, 
what this church believes just because it believes it. I want you to believe what we're looking at from the Word of God. We're looking at Scripture. We're looking at exactly what the Bible says. If you can challenge me on that, then please do so. I want you to understand this because that's what's been in there all the time. That's what God says about it. If Jesus Christ is the one that built it, if he's the one that has designed it, then he's the one that can show us what it is and how it's supposed to work. There's a lot of people today, and folks, we love them. Many of them are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We will one day walk the streets of glory together. But many have such a twisted view of the church. So many would say that it's, it's the universal church that's important. They would place little value, little importance whatsoever on the local church at all. As long as you know, well, I want to tell you something. <laughs> you don't want to miss out on the universal church. <laughs> you don't want to miss out on the church, the one true church that will be called out of here, all those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You want to be there for that gathering. But you see, so many people are so focused upon that one in the future, they don't see any real need or any real place for it in their lives here. They see a requirement to be a part of the universal church, but not the local church. And of course, there's others that they maybe see more of a need for the church. They, they, they think it's a good thing. They would say that any group of believers, if they gather together, they study the Bible, they worship, these things constitute a church. And I've had the verse tossed at me many times from Matthew 18, 20 that says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Is that a church? Granted, it in context, he is talking about a church. It's coming right behind church discipline, which we'll look at later within the local church. But when we read those words, that's God's word. That verse is important or God wouldn't have put it there. But it's important for the right reason in its own context. He's showing us, folks, that it doesn't take a huge crowd to be important to God. The least amount of people that can be called out and that can assemble together are two. And even if it's only two or three, he will be there. Thank God we don't have to match man's expectations. We don't have to be some mega church. Even as a small congregation, we're still just as much. See, that's the beauty. We're still just as much the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ and much more so than many that have a whole lot more people. Take it for what it says, for what it means. Jesus Christ is in each and every one of us as believers. And even with the smallest assembly of only two or three, folks, he's right there with us. You know, sometimes, sometimes people can become discouraged. I know it may surprise you, but sometimes pastors get discouraged too. <laughs> sometimes they can say, well, you know, does anybody care? Why? Because where's everybody at? Why do I 
spend all these days, all these hours, all week trying to study and get with God and prepare and have something and then nobody wants to come. It's like, it's like ladies, it's just like if, if you were there and you were expecting the guests and man, you went out and you got all the supplies and you worked and you slaved away in that kitchen and you got it on the table and nobody bothered to turn up to eat. Yeah, it can be discouraging. But you know, it's this verse that so many times I'm not going to let who's not here take away the joy of being here. And you shouldn't do the same. Folks, if we come together, all it takes is you and me and the Lord. <laughs> and you know what? He's going to be in our midst. And I'd rather you and me and the Lord be together for his purpose than not to be here at all. So don't let others take away your joy. This verse is important to us. It can give us great encouragement God's with us when we assemble ourselves together as a true New Testament church. But I want to ask you something in looking at that verse. Would you please explain to me how that as we look at all that the Bible has to say about the church, that we can take that one verse and pull it out by itself and say that this is a church because that verse says that. The Bible doesn't say that, and I'm going to challenge you to follow with me as we look at just what a New Testament church really is. You see, that verse is true, but is that all that it takes to be a church? I think not, folks, not to be a New Testament church. In many people's way of thinking, and especially in our day, anybody that wants to call themselves a church, doesn't matter what they believe, doesn't matter what they practice, doesn't matter anything, they can be a legitimate church. Well, they might be a legitimate called-out assembly, but I'm not talking about that, folks. I'm talking about a New Testament church. I'm talking about a called-out assembly that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. His church he is the designer. We've already seen that. He's the one that said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's the designer. If he's the one that's given us his word, his blueprint, don't you think that's where we ought to go? You see, it's not for you or me or any other church or anybody else to redefine what he says, what he does, how he does it, or why he does it. It's for us to know his design. It's for us to accept his design. It's for us to follow the design, the pattern that he's given us. So I'm asking you a question this morning, and if you had to answer me right now, what would you say? What truly constitutes a New Testament church? If it's so important, if Jesus died and gave himself for it, if it is, and I promise you this, as we go through here, folks, there is no, make that zero as big as you want to, there is no other authority upon planet earth for his work to be done. He's the one that built his church. He's the one that was the chief cornerstone. He's the one that chose those 12, and he's the one that put them there to be the foundation and is built upon it stone after stone after stone right up to you and I today. 
And that's where he works. That's where his authority lies. How would you define it? We've already seen some pretty important elements of a New Testament church. And we're going to begin by just trying to bring some of those things together and to apply them. You see, we've seen surely that undoubtedly following the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel, there is nothing, nothing that supersedes that in Scripture, that there's probably no more prominent subject in the Word of God than the church, the church that he died for, the church that he himself designed and established and commissioned to continue his work. We find that when we become a child of God, when we are saved, in studies past, when we looked at the Holy Spirit and all of that, we saw that that's what the Holy Spirit baptism is all about, being baptized into that one true church that will be called out one day, having our names written in the Lamb's book of life, being part of the bride of Christ, but that we're clearly taught. Folks, now we should be presently assembling ourselves together in the Lord's assembly, not just anywhere, but in his assembly, part of a local church, part of the body of Christ here on earth. So, again, if that were the case, how do you know what is truly a New Testament church? Well, I'm going to try to break it down with a, a couple of different areas. We want to look, first of all, at the organization of a New Testament church. How is a New Testament church organized? And then following that, I want to look at the offices of a New Testament church. We won't get that far today, but uh, we'll get there eventually. Then we're going to look, God willing, at the operation and at the ordinances. But I want us to think about this today because when we think of organization, we, we think about how it's put together. We think about what it is. You see, we've got to keep in mind, first of all, that the New Testament church is not an organization in the sense of any man-made organization we know. People get confused a lot of times. They get confounded. Sometimes they even get downright ornery and mad and upset because the church doesn't operate like their social club that they belong to. I got news for you. We're not a social club. We're not even a democracy. We're a theocracy. It's God that's in control. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that's the head of the church, and we're going to operate according to his word. It don't matter whether it fits into the pattern of what the world thinks an organization should be. Does it fit God's pattern? You see, we found from what we've seen already, the church is not just an organization, but it's a living organism designed by Christ himself. Yes, he defined, it. he defined it as a building with him being the, the chief cornerstone and the apostles being the, the foundation and God inhabiting it. But we also see it as a body, not just anybody, 
but the very body of Jesus Christ himself. Folks, all through the Bible, God is not the author of confusion. God is a God of order. He didn't give us his word so that we could be confused. He gave it to us so that we can read it and study it and understand it and know what he wants of us. What's needed for a New Testament church to truly be organized, to truly be what God would have it be? just read in Acts chapter 2, that was when the first group of people, born-again believers, assembled together as a congregation there on the day of Pentecost. You know, even though that the church isn't organized like anything else on earth, the actual organization of the church is really pretty simple and straightforward if we, if we look at God's Word. Uh, if we just begin to apply the things that we've already seen in, in defining that church, there's two ingredients that I mainly want to cover two ingredients for the organization of a New Testament church. The first one, turn back with me into our, our reading for today in Acts chapter 2. Notice that he said there in verse 41, he says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. We've already said as we looked at it, that one thing is certain, that the church is made up of born again, baptized, we'll look at that more when we get to the ordinances, believers, people that are truly born again. That's the only ones that are part of the universal church, and theoretically that's all that should be a part of the local church. These people got saved. They got baptized and they were joined, added to the apostles is what it had started with. Now, we've already established all of that, but I want to ask you something else. You know, so does that mean that just anybody, anybody that's been saved can join themselves together in any way? It'll make a New Testament church. Well, let's just, let's just look here. Notice what it says in verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. As part of the Lord's assembly, remember, they were saved, they were baptized, they were added to the congregation. We find here that they continued steadfastly. Now, a lot of things could be said there. They continued steadfastly together as an assembly in what? In doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers are four things listed specifically right here. And you know, if you just look at that word fellowship, sometimes we can really, you know, get a, a low opinion of what fellowship is and we think it's just, just enjoying a drumstick together or something. But the word carries much deeper meaning than that. Carries with it, yes, sharing is part of it, but an actual partnership. 
They were in a partnership together. Yes, they were sharing, and we see that, that working out in its reality. Notice what it says in the next verse. It says, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. This is the foundation of the church. These are these men that God has chosen. They're seeing wonderful, mighty things happen. The apostles are still leading this first church at this time. They were the leaders that God had put there. The people were seeing this happen. Notice what it says in verse 44 and 45. And all that believed, what's the next two words in your Bible? Were together and had what? All things common. I mean, now look, excuse me. Now, this is not one of those two or three in God in the midst. <laughs> we just saw 3,000 people get saved and added to this church in one sermon. <laughs> we see all these people continuing on. We see them continuing steadfastly together in all these different things with the apostles leading them. And here we see that every one of them that believed were together. And they had all things common. Hmm. It says in verse 45, they even sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men and every man had need. Now I've had some people try to say, see there, that's communism's a good thing. <laughs> Folks, it wasn't the government that told them that they couldn't have anything and that everything that they had was theirs and that they would sell it and that they would divide it up as they saw fit. We're talking about a people. Listen to me. Don't forget this word. It's a hard word. A people that were united. A people that were one. A people that were so together. I mean, all these thousands that's become a pretty big congregation. And yet as they went on, they were so together that they had all things common. You couldn't tell one stuff from the other, and it didn't matter. That wasn't because somebody was saying, oh, you go out and you work and you give it, and we're going to take it and we're going to equally distribute. No, it was because in their hearts, in their hearts, they were all as one. They were all united in such a way that whatever I have is yours, Whatever you have is mine. It doesn't matter. All things were common. That wasn't because of some cult that started and said, that's the way we're going to do it. <laughs> that wasn't because of anything except a oneness in heart. It came natural to these people. All that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Verse 46, and they, this congregation, this assembly of people, continuing, what's that next word? I'm, I'm certain that says daily in my Bible. <laughs> continuing daily with what? One accord in the temple? You mean they could, all, all these people could spend this time together on, on, a, on a daily basis and, 
and not be bickering and fighting and finding fault in one another and figuring out who was better than the other and figuring out why this person wasn't as good as them. In one accord. I want to tell you something, folks. Probably the greatest enemy that any church anywhere has. Da, 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 da. That thing right there called a tongue. It really is. And, and you know, sometimes it's a hard fight between the tongue and, and, and the brain. And most of the time the tongue gets ahead of the brain, <laughs> outruns the brain. But what I want you to realize here, man, this was a lot of people. And they were continuing steadfastly. And I mean, they were there and, and, and they were together and they had all things common and they were sharing everything they had and they were continuing daily with one cord in the temple. I thought about that daily. And I'm thinking, you know, today we do real good if we can get them out for one or two hours a week. <laughs> daily. What was important to them? What was their mind? What were they in one accord about? The world, we're talking about that in the Bible study this morning. The world, the world's possessions, the world's materials, the world's values, that's what ends up taking over most of our lives and we don't even realize it. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and look at there, and singleness, and singleness of heart. Folks, we find that these people were not just two or three people gathered together. The number doesn't matter whether it's two or three or thousands. This first church was, it was a mega church of its own day, amen. <laughs> a lot of people. But what I find amazing is that you know, the church is made up only of Christians, only of born-again believers, born-again believers that have followed the Lord in baptism. But these weren't just Christians. These were Christians that were united as one. And I want to say to you, that's where a New Testament church, it starts with born-again, baptized believers that are united together as one. They truly are. It says here, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. You see, I believe this with all my heart. Revival is not something that happens when we start by getting all the lost people into the church Revival is something that happens when God's people, when God's people are revived. And as a result of that, the lost start coming in. We try to turn it around. We don't want to change our lives. We want to keep right on down the paths we're going and God do something with that, with that crazy lot out there. God wants to begin within. And I'm saying to you folks, you take the Word of God, you can, you can agree or disagree or, or get mad with me or whatever. God don't use Lone Rangers. 
You don't have Lone Rangers in Tonto. I don't, I don't find one Spider-Man or Superman. I find Jesus Christ and his church. And that church is made up of people, but not people that are just out there on their own, people that are assembled together, united together as one. These Christians were united together in doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, in prayers daily with one accord in the temple. But they were also united in their lives outside of the temple. Their care for one another. We'll find that as we look on, we'll see more emphasis on that. As we look at other things concerning the New Testament church. But these people were assembled together. They were united together in what they believed and how they worshipped and how they lived. How they got along with each other. How they cared for one another. They were a people of one heart. They were a people in one accord both in the temple, the church, if you would, the building that they were meeting in, and in their own homes. You see, that's the way the church began. And I got news for you. God's design hasn't changed. We change. The Word of God hasn't changed. We also, in looking at defining the church, we we saw the importance of this unity when we looked at the church being defined as a body. Not just as believers, but as a body. And the necessity of that whole body, what, working together as one. In unison, the Bible goes into great detail to show the importance of each one. If God has called you, if God has saved you, you have a part to play in his church and not just in some future event when you'll have a glorified body and you'll be out of this world. I'm saying right now in this world, God has a place for you within the body. Each one, in particular, the words our Bible uses, and yet as one body, but that one body with Christ as the head. You see, the organization of the New Testament church, it is Christians united together as one, but with Christ as the head. Okay, let's, let's get all this junk out of our heads about something out there that you can't see. Get all this junk out of our heads about buildings and services and all these things. We better begin to realize and understand that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the New Testament church, it is a church, an assembly of Christians that are united together as one in one body with Jesus Christ himself as the head. Ephesians chapter 1 we read these verses sometime back already. I refresh your memory this morning in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23 says, Simply, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fitteth all in all. Folks. That's how the church is organized. 
not some social club, not some government party, but as the body of Christ with Jesus Christ as its head. You look just a few pages over in your Bible in Colossians chapter 1 and in verse 18, the Bible says, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. We know that the simple truth is that you can't have a body and it be effective without a head. It's a pretty gory thing if you've ever seen anybody get their head chopped off. Problem is today is too many of man's churches are operating without a head. Jesus Christ is not the one that's running things. He's not even the one that's getting the preeminence in all of it. You know, it doesn't really matter if anybody out there can ever remember your name. Don't matter if anybody can ever remember the pastor's name. Matters very much whether they remember his name. It doesn't really matter if they know what we have done to be a blessing to them. It matters that they know what Jesus Christ did for them. The greatest blessing of all. You see, there's only one way. A church organized any other way. I'm saying to you, and I say, bring the word of God and you show me it's simply not a New Testament church. The first thing began that organization. Our Lord designed it this way. We've got to remain obedient to his pattern. Born again, baptized believers, united together as one in faith and practice, assembled together with Jesus Christ as their head and supreme authority. That's where it begins. There's a lot more that will define it as a New Testament church because, you know, just like some people get stopped with the two or three and nothing else, others get stopped right here. It's vital. I'm saying there is no other way to organize it. You can't go anywhere else. People try to get members just for the sake of numbers. <laughs> but no, the only way to build the church is to get people saved. We'll look at that later too. Evangelizing. That's the only way to add to the church. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to recognize and understand what we're talking about. This living organism that is the body of Jesus Christ himself. He is our head. We are united together as one. That's why, you know, we don't say that everybody's got to agree with us. And I say to you as a Christian, I'll fully recognize this is not the place for everybody. Everybody would not be at one with us in what we believe, in what we practice, they may not like the way we worship. They may not like some of the things that we believe. We don't go around here twisting people's arms, trying to get them to be a member of this church. I'm telling you biblically that to obey God 
You need to be a member of a local church somewhere. It may not be this one. We're not ashamed. We'll give you a statement of faith. We'll show you what we believe and what we stand upon, what we're going to teach and what we're going to preach. We'll tell you up front, we are a bunch of very, very, very imperfect people with probably the most imperfect pastor in history. But we're trying to the very best of our ability to be a New Testament church. And if God brings you in, if God brings you in to be one with us, then we invite you and we encourage you to come. But if you're going to come and be at odds with us, we'd rather you go find where you can be at one with somebody. You need to be a part. Jesus Christ designed his church. We're going to be looking over these next few weeks of other things. It's got to begin with the people being saved. Those people being united together in one accord, in one mind, in one doctrine, in one fellowship, in one mind of prayer. These things that we've seen in God's Word here, yes, in and outside of the place that they congregate, and with only one head, and that's Jesus Christ Himself. But we're going to look at what are the things now. Once you get that organization, that group of people together with Christ as their head, where do we go from there? What is going to still make that a New Testament church? Father, you know the hearts of each one here this morning. Lord, I thank you for the time that you have given us together. And Lord, I pray that you would help us. Lord, you know our hearts. Lord, as we began this series 75 sermons ago, Lord, we truly believe that there are fundamental foundational truths in your word that, Father, we've got to fight for harder than ever in these days. We've got to be willing to stand upon your word regardless of what is popular with man, regardless of what is popular with, with religion, regardless of what is popular with the world. And, Lord, we don't want to be just awkward for the sake of it. Lord, we just want to be what you would have us to be, speaking the truth in love. Lord, we want to stand upon these things, and we truly believe that there are fundamental foundational truths here concerning the church, the church that you died for, the church that is your body right here upon this earth and one day be your bride in heaven. Lord, we realize there's only one way to become part of that church scripturally, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning, Lord, their name may not be written in the Lamb's book of life. If the trumpet sounded right now, they would never have the opportunity to be part of your church. Lord, maybe here today, maybe they've been reminded, maybe they've realized, you know, <laughs> Well, I've got good intentions, and maybe I've had a, a good dose of religion, but truth is, Jesus Christ is not what's controlling my life right now. I've never truly given myself to him lock, stock, and barrel. I've never humbled myself and sought forgiveness for myself, not because the church did, not because of what I did, but because I came as a wretched sinner, admitting my sin and recognizing that Jesus Christ and his shed blood was the only atonement for that sin. 
Well, there may be those here that they've just kind of tried to, to slip into the picture. Lord, they, they need to get their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And Lord, blood is the only thing that can bring that about. There may be those here today that are saved, that are born again. They know that they are. They've never followed you in believer's baptism. Lord, they know in their heart, they sought that forgiveness, they trust you, they, they believe you for it, but they've never identified themselves with you. Lord, there's nobody in the Word of God that became a member of one of your churches without baptism. Oh, we know the thief on the cross didn't have a chance to be baptized. He didn't have a chance to, to join a local church. He put his faith and trust in Christ. Lord, these here today do have opportunity. They do have time. They do have a chance. Lord, there may be somebody here that's been saved and baptized and Lord, maybe they have all the best intentions and sincerity in the world. But Lord, they've just been missing the mark on this thing of the church. They need to be willing. They need to be willing to unite themselves as one with a group of born-again baptized believers. One, assembled together as the body of Christ with you as their head. Lord, you know the needs of each heart. We just pray that you would Speak as only you can. If there are people here this morning, Lord, if they need to respond, if they need to come and pray, or if there's anything they need to do to get things right before they leave here, we pray. Help them swallow their pride. Help them to get everything else out of the way. Help them right now to do what they need to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.